So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets. This is Tom Seco, your co-host and co-founder of Florida Veterinary Advisors. If you're a frequent listener of ours, welcome back. I'm glad to have you with the show. Uh, if you are a new listener, I'm glad that you're here and you're at least getting a chance to listen to one of our many episodes. I think we're up to like 140 plus episodes now. Uh, this has been quite a journey and a lot of fun that we've been up to. And if you're not familiar with who we are, just to give you an idea, like we work across the United States, we help veterinarians, practice owners, and our mission and vision for the veterinary community is to provide a different way of thinking so you can be able to spend time doing other things. So you can make financial decisions and it's very simple for you. Uh, we have a lot of educational resources and things that are available to you through our website. We have courses, our other podcasts you can listen to. So if, if you really want to dive down into financial things, make sure to do that. Uh, it's all out there for no cost for you to listen to. I've been trying to chase this guest down forever, and I think we've been sick back and forth with like, literally, it's my turn, my turn, and I, it's been months. So it's awesome to be able to actually be here today. And what we're going to be diving down a little bit more into is around commercial insurance type stuff and just really being able to talk more about uh, the dedication that this guest has when it comes to the veterinary community and the support that they're providing. And the, the person I'm going to bring on the show today, uh, he is the founder and owner of VetInsure based out of Georgia. Uh, they work nationally. They help many, many practices across the state, uh, about, across the United States, uh, and they're doing a really phenomenal job. So Rod Finnegan, I really appreciate you being here with me. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm glad we're able to make this work. <laughs> Finally, we're here. And I know. I feel like it. there needs to be like a hooray or something like that in the background. <laughs> there are people that are getting to meet you for the first time. And what I'd really like for you to do is talk mm -hmm. a little bit about if you could give us a plug on yourself, VetInsure, like why VetInsure, uh, just so people can familiarize themselves with you. So we are an independent retail insurance agent. So we're a broker for the veterinary industry. We represent vet hospitals literally in 48 states, but we also represent other businesses in the veterinary space. So what I often tell people is any given conference you go to, we probably already insure about 10% of the other exhibitors as well. So we're really vet centric, but we're independent. So we, we represent a ton of different carriers. You know, if you own a vet hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, maybe Hartford's the best, maybe it's Hanover. You have a hospital in Nashville, it could be a totally different company. So we try to aggregate the best results among the entire market. And that's one of our competitive advantages. How did you get into doing commercial insurance? Were you in the industry beforehand? Is this something all of a sudden you're just like, you woke up one day and you're like, darn, I really, vet community could use some help around this. Let me go do that. Like, how did you stumble across this? I got into insurance in 2002. Actually, my, my degree is finance and I worked for my father's real estate company from the time I was 13 doing real estate title searches and managing you know construction groups that were doing remodels on homes and stuff like that. But by the time I graduated college, I realized that I didn't see business the same way that my dad did. And I was kind of tired of real estate. I was burned out, ended up getting a job working as an underwriter for the Hartford. So at that time, my, my client base were insurance agents across the US, not the business owners. And when I got into it, it's very analytical. 
you know, underwriting a business, you're trying to figure out all the different things that can happen to them and create some type of coverage package or protection that the agent can then go sell. So I looked at it like it's going to be this really neat, scientific, mathematical, analytical kind of job, which really worked for me mentally. But then in reality, I would spend 90% of my time counseling agents who only cared about how much money they were making and didn't really care about knowing about the coverages. And so I remember thinking, you know, if I ever become an agent, you know, my primary goal is going to be like, I want people to understand the things that can happen to them. I really want them to understand how they can protect themselves. So fast forward, you know, a few years later, becoming an agent, you know, I've done everything you can imagine. I've insured restaurants and apartment communities and even a NASCAR sponsor once. But I always knew I wanted to dedicate part of my career to being an expert in something, to really like getting more than just being a generalist. I want to be a specialist. And I remember looking at all the different industries that I could participate in. And I knew initially it had to have certain markers, like it had to be recession resistant and it, you know, it had to be a growing environment. But most importantly, if I were to dedicate my life to it and then it were to take off, I got to enjoy this. Like I got to really love what this business owner does. And my mom was the, was the, not the crazy cat lady, but she was definitely the lady that adopted all the strays in our neighborhood. So I felt like I grew up in Gwinnett Animal Clinic in Georgia. And so she's no longer alive, but if she was alive, she would love what I'm doing because we were that family that had all the strays. We never paid for a dog ever, not to get them. We paid a lot in vet clinics, but just started working with vets and worked with one locally here in the suburbs of, of Athens in a place called Watkinsville which is right down the street from our, our office now. And what I thought would be like a really neat kind of Georgia thing very quickly became a Southeast thing. And then it became an East Coast thing. And then within about five to six years, it became a national thing because what we were able to do with the first one, we've replicated since. So it just kind of a lot of the universe being involved and it being fortuitous and just things like, when, when, I think if, when you do something noble, which I think what veterinarians do is very noble, but I think protecting them is as well. The universe has had a funny way of getting involved and kind of helping push it along. That's great. I love the the idea and how it all came about. And sometimes we tend to just stumble into things and at other times it's like we can be incredibly intentional. It seems it's kind of a twofold here. And with the involvement that you've had in the vet community over the last many years, there must be something that I would imagine when you have conversations with these practice owners, there's like a common theme that you're seeing where they have one of the most challenges around their coverages or the way that they're approaching things. What, what, what is that that you've noticed? So that's a spectrum. I mean, it can be, we, we see extreme outliers. Like we've had people call us up and want an insurance review and we find out that they're $4.5 million building is not insured mm -hmm. or they've got staff running errands. And if they were to cause a wreck and the hospital gets sued, there's no coverage for that. Actually, that was the phone call I had before this podcast was explaining that to a business owner. So we see the, the extreme things, but then there are certain areas where I think vet hospitals are exposed in ways they don't understand. Like, like first of all, like when a veterinarian is either building up their first practice, whether it's like a leasehold space or it's ground up, one of the things that is put in place either by the contractor through an agent is a coverage called builder's risk. That has, first of all, that has nothing to do with liability. That's just the tangible building materials only. So most vets in that position fail to get liability, especially when they own the land. It's just sitting there unprotected. But that's not as big of a deal as it is like later down the line when you get like 30 to 45 days before you open, medical equipment's arriving. 
builder's risk doesn't cover medical equipment. So if you've got a big specialist practice that's building out that space and they're 30, 30 days before open and they think builder's risk is doing something when they have 200,000 in equipment sitting there, it's usually uninsured. So we, we catch things like that. And then if you were to extend it to like existing hospitals with what they believe to be a proper insurance package, we find the same mistakes we always do. You know, they have 20, 25 employees and no employment practices mm-hmm. liability, or it's a, a bigger firm and it's two partners and they brought in you know, a corporate investor and there's no directors and officers. I mean, it, there's, I think maybe two or three times that I can think of in the last seven to 10 years where I called the business owner back and told them that their coverage was fantastic. Like I can't find anything right. in it, which is amazing. Cause if you look at like all the ones that we look at, I mean, that's basically what that's saying is almost every single time we find something. Yeah. What I'm taking from what you're saying is that, and this is how I've seen a lot of this society as a whole that they will, they know they need something. They know they know they need to do something about it. They usually find the cleanest, dirtiest shirt. So basically, they just find like a quick option. I need I need to go get some coverage. <laughs> I mean, I find this with people with auto insurance, life insurance, disability insurance, a lot of different things. They buy these things, and then it's just like they check the box off, and it's, I, I must be good. And it seems like where you're finding is that there are some people that have really taken the time, or they've had really good education and counsel around them saying look, this is what you need to be doing. But a lot of people are having, they're, they're still exposed and they really haven't taken the time or they don't have the right resources to get educated to be able to understand what the real impact is to them. Would you say I'm right there? You are. And the, the, I think the hardest part for a business owner is, well, first of all, time, you know, especially with a vet, they're spending a lot of time working with animals. That's what they want to do. That's how you make money. And do, do you have the time to work, you know, on things with your business as opposed to in it? And researching whether or not you're protected correctly or whether you've got the right policies is one of those on type of type of duties. And let's face it, insurance is it's not necessarily the funnest conversation for people to have. It's like I, I'm the same way with accounting. I just tell my account, I don't want to pay the government anything, you know, just make it work. And I think a lot of people view insurance that way. But the other side of it is even if you invest the time, mm-hmm. where are you going to find the right answer? You know, is are you going to find the right answers on VIN? Maybe, maybe not. Are you going to find it on Google? I mean, when I look up insurance terms on Google just to check out what different websites are saying, right. it's confusing to me. And you're the expert. Yeah, there's not a lot of clarity in it. So when you know, whenever I'm talking with somebody, my main objective is really to just try to mm-hmm. shine as much daylight as I can on their business and talk about the different things that can happen. But essentially, it's just really creating a buffet. You know, here's the different things. You know, and let them choose what they want. But I think, you know, when you're empowered and you understand why you're choosing something, it's a much more advantageous position to be in than to just say, oh, well, you know, this national association puts their stamp of approval. It must be good. Or, well, my local guy comes in and he brings all his dogs and he's a good guy. He must know. Well, hope so. You know, so it's really, I think with any business, whether it's veterinary or we were talking about some other industry to, to have an expert in every aspect of your business, whether we're talking about insurance, we're talking about accounting or legal, working with somebody that really fully understands vet med. It's an interesting thought you bring up there too, because people will go and trust and just assume because someone has a, a certain stamp on them or their branding is in a certain area that all of a sudden it's like, well, they must really know what they're doing. So they're, there's someone I need to go talk to. Mm-hmm. And what's so fascinating, I was having a conversation last night with a practice owner around like he's 42 years of age and he's thinking about selling his practice already. 
And it's really just been the whole idea of he's not getting the appropriate guidance that he needs to be able to understand if he wants to keep his business and if that's his vision over the course of time. What do you need to be doing to really position yourself to own this business and not have to be sucked into it and feel like you're being like you're trapped? Or if you really generally don't want to be a business owner, and how do you determine and decide that? And it just it seems with all the counsel and all the different people that are out there, I even think in you know, my my perspective of like what well, we're helping with on our side, it's it's fascinating how people will ultimately go to someone and say, well, they do this stuff, so they. Really really do get it and they can help me get the best coverage and everything else. But then here you are coming around and you're like, let me talk to you about why this, <laughs> why this isn't the way it should be. This is how it really should go about doing it. And uh, I, I think that's, that's phenomenal. And it, what is the conversation typically, you know, when someone does reach out to you, what, what is it that you're, you spend some time with them to like, they send you over your, their declaration pages and then you spend some time talking with them. Is there usually like a conversation that you have with them initially and then they'll send over their stuff? How do you go about that? It kind of depends on their situation. So if it's an existing hospital owner, practice manager, and they want to review, yeah, we'll look at what are called the declaration pages, which the way I describe that, if a textbook had a table of contents, an insurance policy has declaration pages. And it's just more or less itemizing the majority of the coverages in it. But typically... You know, when they send those over, that's that's what we refer to as getting our hands on the animal. You know, we need to to really dig into it and look. And so when they do that, let's say today somebody were to email me their policy, I'm going to glance at it, do a quick review, and then I'm going to email them back immediately. Just say, here are my initial observations. I'm not saying that there are coverage gaps or problems. I'm just saying these are the things that may be a potential problem we're going to talk. We put it out to market. And by that, though, I mean, because we write hospitals all over the country, the pricing that we can get with carriers is really, I think is what's made a name for us. We have an affinity program with a couple of carriers, which mean that we're looked at differently in the veterinary space. You know, we get coverage as other agents can't. And so what we do is when we go and quote it, we apply that factor to it. And the, the, the whole goal really of it, and I tell this to everybody up front, I'm very objective. And I tell them, look, my number one objective has nothing to do with saving you money. It doesn't matter whether you're spending 2000 or 200000 My number one objective, my agency's number one objective is to prevent a financial hardship. I want to keep your doors open. And that has to be paramount in my mind first so that you don't have some issue. Because here's the, I, I call it the rule of five. In vet med, every dollar of profit that you lose, it takes five times that in new production to offset it. And by that, I'm not talking about Mrs. Smith who's coming in for her annual vaccines for her dog anyway. She was coming in regardless. I'm talking about selling products and services to existing clients, things that they didn't know that they may need or you know that they're going to be buying. It's about growing your practice and adding more staff. And so if you look at every dollar of profit that way, but then we translate it over to insurance and you have this $30,000 problem, but you only have $10,000 worth of coverage and you have to compensate by going into a money market and pulling out 20,000 to offset it. To me, that's not really a $20,000 problem. That's really a $100,000 problem or it's $100,000 in new production that they have to create to offset that. So, you know, when we look at someone's insurance, that's why we really drive that narrative of we want to make sure that the insurance is tailored to you and helps you to transfer as much risk as possible. But then inevitably, we always switch after that's done to phase two or objective two, which is, all right, so this is an expense. You know, let's see if we can shave off 30, 35, 40%. And that's where we went from being a Georgia thing to a Southeast thing to an East Coast thing. Because for years, you know, up until the last few, I'd say pre-COVID, we were known for cutting premiums by 30% and given another 1.2 million covers. That seemed to be a really good average. Today, I mean, I've got clients where they're overspending and 
to the point where they could cut their premium in half. And we had one where we cut it by 40% and they walked away with 6.2 million in additional coverage. I mean, they had a location that wasn't even covered. So it's just, it's really about like trying to make sure that you're protected first. That is the most important thing. I love the way that you think about that because people usually go into what's the cost. I love how it's more, it's about the risk. What kind of risk are you taking? Money or not, at the end of the day, it's you have a choice to have something or not have something. And like, here's the risk to you at the end of the day. And this is the cost of it. So cheap doesn't always mean better. However, that you're able to create these relationships to with these other companies to provide a, a almost like, a, I would like to call it like an umbrella or a, a blanket to them to be able to say, look, these are options that we can go to. So then you're sometimes able to save some money along the way, which is great. I, I usually like to call it not making people insurance poor as much as possible. Exactly. And uh, I like the idea of the five the five times because I mean, that's super valid because if they do take have to take $20,000 out, that's considered profits. But in order to get to the profits, you know, there's usually a lot that goes on the, on the other end of it first to then generate that $20,000. So it's a really good perspective that you put that in. So what is something that they could go do? Let's say they weren't ready to call you or let's say they were ready to talk, call you and there's something that they could go do on their own at this split second. Like what's something you could suggest that they can go do? Uh, just to make sure that you have adequate coverage, probably the first thing, if you own a hospital and this is not necessarily going to be applicable in all states, but you know, the first thing is pull out your workers' comp policy. You need to find out what the rate is, questioning whether or not that's competitive. And the only way to know if it's competitive is you need to market it. You need to have it quoted. You need to let an agent look at it, whether it's us or it's somebody local. And the rate of your workers' comp is just it, the rating basis is the payroll. The rate is a percentage. So like, for example, if you're in Texas and your rate's a dollar and you haven't had a whole lot of claims, you're overspending. If you're in Georgia and your rate's over a dollar fifty and you haven't had a whole lot of claims, you're overspending. So, But you won't know that until you market it. But the best thing is, is just to pull it out, take a look at the rate. Has it gone up over the last few years compared to your other policies? Yes or no? So I think the one misconception is, is if I stay with a carrier a long time, they're going to be loyal. I can tell you definitively that is not correct because one of the sayings that we had at Hartford, it wasn't my saying, but it was the one that they used to hammer into us was we want our unfair share. And what that meant was, is that the Hartford wanted their unfair share of clients they wanted to write and they wanted an unfair share of their money. And I guess because they wrote policies for Abe Lincoln and General Lee, they felt like, you know, they were on top you know, in the marketplace, every carrier thinks like that to one degree or another. Pull your business policy out. If you own a building, make sure the building is on there. You know, if you see the building limit, the one, the one thing I definitely recommend, especially in this post-COVID environment where inflation has been going crazy, take the square footage of your building. You know, and again, this is like, I don't want to give, this is not like an exact estimate because it depends on the construction and where you're located. But, you know, multiply that square footage by $300 and just get a baseline. What number are you coming up with? How does that compare to the limit on your policy? If you've got employees, you've got more than 15 you probably need an employment practices policy separate with a big, robust limit. Do you have that? Yes or no? You know, there's just there's a lot of things that you can at least, you know, look at with your current coverage to try to get an idea. Am I doing the right thing? If I'm talking about coverages right now that you have never heard of, that's probably a sign. That's right. You know, you may want to to dig into it. But but ultimately, you, it really, it's just you got to send it out, have it quoted, have somebody do an exam and let a professional tell you where, you know, where your coverage is. Absolutely. That's great. I believe a lot of these advice and a lot of these little tidbits you're giving here, I hope that people really can and eat it up and at least take this away. And if you are wanting to explore or consider some of your options, definitely it's a good idea to every so often take a step back and, and look at what you're doing. And on a complete other note that's non-related to insurance or vet business or anything else, I always like to wrap things up with a silly little question. 
if you were stranded on an island and you had one choice of food, it could be anything, just one one choice of food, what would it be? Just for the record, I, he did not send an email of this question, so the pause is legitimate. Um, <laughs> it, would, it, would, it, it wouldn't be cherry pez or something silly like that. I don't know. Probably It'd probably have to be something that I could grow and would be the most nutritious and sustainable. So and putting the fact I could fish aside, I don't know, maybe it's like sweet, sweet potato or something. I, I have no idea. I don't know. Okay. An endless supply of Coors Light. I, <laughs> I love it. Hey, look, I... It's fascinating the answers that I always hear on this. And I, you go from the very intellectual standpoint of things. I, I remember one time I just said, I mean, I like pizza. And I was just like, I'll I'll take pizza. The pizza that I would want, though, is like uh, the the Italian full plate pizza that you get over in Italy where you use like a fork and a knife. That kind of pizza. I like it. I mean, sweet potatoes are good. <laughs> oh, no. So my mind was going to, well, wait a minute. I'm not going to have an oven. So if, I, if, if all those other logistics are not a part of the equation, then we could, <laughs> I don't know, filet mignon. Who knows? <laughs> Wagyu? Are we talking Wagyu? I actually have never had one. I, I almost ordered one and there was so, I know they're made to, they're really marbled and have a ton of fat. And I think that's, I guess yeah. that's why that, it tastes so good, but I was, I don't know. So I, it's funny, like I'll say that I want to try different foods, but then when I'm in the restaurant, I'll go with whatever I typically yeah. go with, which is boring, but. Yeah. It, what's interesting about Wagyu I've learned is that they, they play classical music, they give them massages and they give them beer. So it makes the meat incredibly tender. I've never done it because like every time I look at the price of a steak, I'm just, holy cow. But um, I am a big fan of a dry aged ribeye over at mm -hmm. my place, Charlie's in Tampa. So that's over a 1200 degree wood grill that they make. It chars it so beautifully. Oh my gosh. That sounds amazing. Go there. I can go there once a month for that. This has been fun, Rod. I really appreciate having you on the show, providing some of your insights. Thanks thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Smarter Vets, if you do want to get in touch with Rod and VetInsure, you'll find some of the information in the description of this podcast. And if you want to listen to some of our other shows, definitely check them out. There's a lot of courses we have through our website. We also have what we call master classes we're going to be releasing soon. So keep an eye on those. And if you found this episode or if you have any episodes you find of interest, please make sure to share with a friend or two. Introduce them to the same great content that we're providing for you here today. Again, this is Tom Seco wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. CJ Burnett and Tom Seco are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. CJ Burnett's and Tom Seco's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Veneer Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purposes 
only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. This material is intended for general use. By providing the content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. The individuals associated with Florida Veterinary Advisors do not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to veterinary professionals. Florida Veterinary Advisors is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. 2023155967 expires May 2025.